Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air This is Fran Lewis This is MJ Network from Freezing 20 Degrees Westchester County And we have the author of This is one of my favorite books Her Sister's Death when oh. her sister is found dead in Baltimore hotel room, report of Val Ritter world is turned upside down. An empty pill bottle at the scene leads the police to believe the cause of death is suicide, and I'm not giving anything else away. The author is here, K.L. Murphy, and welcome to MJ Network. I am so excited that we're doing this. Oh, thank you, Fran. You just made my day. Yeah, well, this makes mine, let me tell you. It cheers me up to do this, and I really don't mind. So give us a brief summary, and how did you come up with this? Because you know something? This issue is very current in the news and everywhere else, too. Well, definitely um, suicides have been on the rise. But really, I was inspired, and I, I, I did talk about this in, in the acknowledgments briefly, um, that I was inspired because I went to a writing conference and a woman had written a nonfiction book about a death that had happened at uh, what had been a hotel but was turned into condos. And the death remains unexplained to this day. Uh, and the police theorized that it was that he had died death by suicide. And I was caught up in the idea of mm. how many people actually choose a hotel as, the scene of this tragedy in in their lives and and of course the increase uh it just makes it a focus a little bit it's kind of amazing how many um there are and uh the rise in them and there's not really an understanding i don't think because the reasons that people are um driven to take that action which is so hard can be so varied it's different in every case, I think, which makes it really a tough thing to, to focus on. But but in, in this story, um, it out, but I don't try to make it the only thing. I need, oh, what happens when Val learns about her sister's death? And like you said, it's off, why is it called suicide? And then... Sometimes when they assume it's suicide, they just stop right there. They don't even look. Well, further. they do. Apparently, I, that's true. And but they're they're supposed to at least determine what the the death is. And if they determine it's suicide, that's the end of it. But you have to rule out any kind of foul play, or it's the same that you know natural causes. You'd go no further. But um, Val 
there's evidence at the scene that implies that it was death by suicide, but Val just does not believe her sister was in that frame of mind or that things in her life had taken her to a place where she would do that. She just is absent. I mean, absolutely stubborn to the nth degree, which is part of her character, but she just doesn't believe it. And so she wants to prove that the police are wrong in this particular case. Well, she's she's determined, I can tell you that. <laughs> she is determined. She's you know shy. something? In, the, in this world, you've got to be determined, because my dad taught me, if you want the answers, go get them yourself. So... Yeah. This yeah. was one of the catalysts that made him think it was suicide. What type of pills were involved and why? Um, I did a little bit of research because that's what you have to do, uh-huh. and I'm not going to say the word. I'm going to say it wrong, but it's the clone. But it's really just um brand I was going for, which is Lunesta, because it's a really common uh, mm. sleep aid. And... Mm. That if you overdose on it, will be fatal. Mm. But it can be, and um, not giving anything away in this particular thing. But on the mm. night, Sylvia had had some wine, which is in a scene, so um, not really giving anything away. But the combination of any kind of drug like that, and if you've had any alcohol, even just a little bit, and you, mm-hmm. and there's a lot. Uh, it, it could, um, it could end up being fatal. So the police make that ruling based mm. on an empty pill bottle uh, on the nightstand initially. I don't want to give you know too what, much away. You know what I've been finding though, doctors, um, and I know through my through someone I'm related to, the first thing they do is they anti-anxiety pills. Then med pills. My cousin takes ten painkillers every day, different ones. I'm sure, and her doctor prescribed them. So doctors are really quick to cause some of this problem causes because they all of a sudden think, "Well, you're depressed. I'm going to give you this. I need your slip to give you this." That's they're too fast. Yes. At, at prescribing yes. things like that. Yeah. And, and and so in this particular case, we have a situation mm-hmm. where she's going through a, a tough event in her life. So. She gets mm. this prescription, but it's it's not a it's not a lot, and it's low dose. But I know what you're saying. And for pain pills, I just read recently, um, a lot of doctors have been prescribing gabapentin. I don't know if you've heard this, but oh, I took gabapentin. gabapentin. Never again. It makes a lot of people dizzy, right? And it can make them really sick. And so, in order to not have them get addicted to something, they give them something else, and it's also bad. It's it's just. I don't know what the right answer is on medication. Gamma-pentin does not only do that. It's even more fun when you see triple. Oh, they, yeah. They gave it, they that, gave it to me one awful. day you for whatever drive, reason. You can't do anything. I saw three people at once. I told my husband, I said, there's three of you. Wow, I get to have three of you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, wish, I, yeah I, was just, I don't know whether to cry or laugh. And I called the ophthalmologist, and he said, just close your eyes for half an hour. It'll go away. I said, thank you. I mean, really, I mean, at least if I saw $3 million, that would have been better. But what can I say? So tell us, tell us about Sylvia, and why does Val not believe that she has just a committed suicide? So Sylvia, it's 
this isn't giving anything away because it's pretty early in the book. Sylvia and her yeah. husband have separated <clears throat> because he was having an affair and he has moved in with his girlfriend. Okay. And um, while she's, yeah, <laughs> while she, Sylvia struggled with that, she is a super devoted mother. Um, she's got two children. She's good at her job. And she's the kind of person that um, looks on the bright side of things at the end of the day. She won't speak badly about Wyatt, her soon-to-be ex-husband, to anyone. And She's implied to Val that she's even started dating again. And, and I just, Val just knows Sylvia that she would not leave her children unless something mm. had happened. And this situation of the separation and impending divorce was not enough to propel Sylvia to that state. She knew that Sylvia mm. was, our, was past it, is how she um, viewed the situation. So Val just did not believe that Sylvia was in the place mentally that the police accepted easily. They, you know, they accept too, too many things too easily. That's the problem, even with the news. Oh, they did mm-hmm. this, whatever. So how and why does she meet Terry, and why do we get the feeling he's hiding something too? Well, their meeting is accidental, library, mm-hmm. and um, Val has not really come to terms or with her sister's death. She hasn't cried yet, and she's in an exhausted emotional state. And uh, she meets Terry, and she basically snaps at him and then loses it. She doesn't know him. It's completely accidental. But he um, is a former police detective who knows a little bit about things that have happened in the same hotel where um, Val's sister was found. And his curiosity and asking questions lets the reader know that maybe Terry knows a little teeny bit more than he's letting Mm. on to Val at the time. Um, But we don't know. You don't know at that point, even early, why he's so um, fascinated by the hotel. He's got a a file about it, a history of cases, Mm. and he tells Val about a couple of cases that happened there, but he he doesn't really reveal why he's so interested. Yeah, well, that and would that, of def- course, is, is a major part of the story. <laughs> yeah, I know. I can't say when people tell you, I'm going to tell you this, but I'm really not going to tell you that. Right, right. He's only He only tells her part of the truth, and his reasons are um, multiple reasons why he doesn't reveal everything to her. But you don't really know why. You don't know what he's not revealing, and you don't know why he's not revealing it. Now, this this was interesting right before I get to the next part. Uh, why was Sylvia there, and who is Wyatt? Why was he stalking her? Not very nice. <laughs> not nice at all. Um, Sorry. Well, yeah told everyone in her family that she's going away on a business trip and she's actually gone to this hotel in town and mm-hmm. she nobody um, understands she's found there um, but Val has some voicemails from Wyatt um, Sylvia's ex that are nasty 
and mm-hmm. she's gotten a text from her sister Sylvia, which implies that Wyatt has been stalking her and they've been fighting and that Sylvia has not been confiding this to Val because she didn't want to upset her. Um, so Val her sister's memory and she suspects that Wyatt has done something um, or at least is doing things that he shouldn't have been doing and um, that Sylvia was in the hotel to hide from Wyatt. That's... I don't blame him. I would hide from him <laughs> just in general, really. You know, sometimes, you know, you read these not, books. How many books have character. I read? I, I kept counting for a while, about 10,000, maybe more, seriously. And I just finished one yesterday, and I could have lived without it, but I have to interview the author. Oh, well. And I never write anything negative, but this is, took a lot of blood pressure out of me not to say, you got to be kidding me. You know, because this oh. this book followed a good sequence, it made sense, but sometimes in the middle of the book you want to cry and say, when is it, when is this person going to do something? Why why are yeah. they repeating everything from the entire book, and why do you hate the main character? So what can I say? So this mm. was interesting because he wrote it in two timelines, and yeah, yeah I know Bridget and Lawrence from 1921. But before we talk about them, tell us about the Franklin Hotel. Tell us about this hotel. Well, it kind of goes back to um, seeing that author talk about her nonfiction book about this man's unexplained death, which was in this former hotel. And I just Mm. started thinking about these beautiful grand hotels and, and, um, Mm. and, the history of everything that's happened in them and they have these ghost tours and and I feel like when you walk into one of them it's a living history a lot of these that were built all this you know years and years ago it's the the um, architecture inside them and the people that have stayed there and I just thought that this hotel could be its own character it it is a living breathing entity it's been around for a hundred years it's seen so much within its walls and I kind of wanted to bring the Franklin to life Um, and part of that happened by going back to 1921 to its early days and so that's a little bit of why you've got that timeline it's one of the reasons that you've got that timeline in there among other reasons but I just I could see the hotel in my head mm. clearly, and I could see the doors with the um, to the to the bar with the juniper carved into the wood. I could just see everything there, and I just wanted to bring it out on the page. Oh, you did. Trust me, you did. I wasn't okay. bored. No, the boy, the book <laughs> okay. I read yesterday is based on a seventy-five room house mansion. And the author wrote it based on a 70-room mansion that somebody was going to uh, renovate for whatever reason the owner wanted it renovated, and there was a lot of subterfuge and craziness there. But the way they described the mansion is be- was beautiful, but nobody appreciated the fact that it was beautiful. He just wanted to make it so he could sell it. So why did you include Bridget and Lawrence from 1921? Because we have Sylvia... 
And her story is sort of not related, but related to the hotel. But you included Bridget and Lawrence from 1921. So how does this link to the hotel? The hotel could talk. Well, <laughs> the hotel could talk, that's for sure. Um, I included their story because wedding celebration following their actual wedding is takes place mm. in the Franklin and their wedding night takes place in the Franklin. So as I said, I was trying to bring the Franklin to life as well. And um, the, the history of the hotel really starts at that time. And a lot of their story is telling about what happened in those walls. It's, you know, one story of many stories, but it's a very compelling story that links back to the hotel and to the present um, in certain ways. But those are things we don't need to reveal right now. All I know is that I wanted to take Lawrence and throw him against the wall. (laughs) I'll tell you, Fran, when I used to take this book to my critique group, At the end of every session, um, I think everyone in the room was like, I hate Lawrence. I hate Lawrence so much. And I was like, well, that's that's my job here. Then that's good. I I want you to hate him. That's okay. I hate him, and I wrote him. I know. You know, I can't stand abuse, and he was really good at it, too. That Mm -hmm. um, I won't say what, what happens at the end, but I did stand up and applaud. That's all I'll say. (laughs) <laughs> Good. Well, I know a lot of people, you know, after working in a school for a thousand years, um, I know a lot of kids and a lot of grown-ups that went through that. And I know that as an educator and a dean and whatever else they call me, um, I reported every incident, even if I wasn't sure. And unfortunately, I was always right. So ab- yeah. abuse is what, and the scary part is that Bridget didn't want to tell anybody. Back then, I guess she didn't tell anybody. So why, why did no. she marry? Yeah, why, did, why? I mean, seriously. Well, you've got, you've got, first of all, you do have that time period. And um, in that time period, obviously not have the same kinds of freedoms that they have now. And if you were, you know, 18 years old and your father said you need to marry so-and-so, then you yeah. need to marry so-and-so. Um, and and while it wasn't, you know, quite arranged marriages like, you know, long, long ago, it, you didn't have any say as a young girl. And in this particular case, her parents, um, he's previously married, but um, – he comes, mm. he comes from a good family. He's very established. He has lots of money. They think this is a great match. And um, he's done nothing but profess his devotion to her. Um, her own doubts are she's afraid to express because she doesn't think anyone will believe her. Um, and she can't stop what's going to happen based on nothing more than her own doubts. She just doesn't have that kind of power in that time in her life and in that time of the world, really. Which is why she goes through with it. You're very popular. We have a whole bunch of listeners. Oh, good. Good morning. (laughs) 
Good morning. Welcome, welcome to the interview for her sister's death. This book is great, and if you haven't read it, I don't know what you're waiting for. So, she married. Yeah, you guys. I'm like impressed. This is great. So, why does she marry him? And right from the start, I get a bad feeling that he's deranged. And I know well, as far as arranged marriages, I know because in. Um, Jewish religion, my grandfather tried to do that to me and didn't let him get away with it. No, no. So why does she marry him? And how do we get a feeling right away that Lawrence is not really who she thinks he was? Uh, You kind of learn gradually that her doubts have um, validity to them, although you don't really know the details and you don't know the extent. She does go and talk to his ex-wife. But his yeah. ex-wife doesn't seem entirely stable either. Um, yeah, I know. So doubt, she even doubts her own doubts, um, which is a lot of why she ends up going through with the wedding. The thing about Lawrence is, is a good word, but he's also, uh, I think you get the sense that he's a master manipulator. His, his, kind of control is to have everything be his way Mm -hmm. and everyone else just do what he wants, Um, which isn't necessarily always, and and it's a type of abuse, but doesn't necessarily end up being um, physical. You just have to figure out as you go along, you see more and more and more into that the, his mind and into their relationship and how little power Bridget really has. And that's just something you can't escape at that time. She just has no power. And because we're frustrated as a modern day reader saying, mm-hmm. why, why? But it's a different time period. Well, if you read um, chapter 53, you'll, you'll see him in action. And I read it like three mm-hmm. times and I'm going, you know, if she, I wish she would have taken the candlestick and threw it on his head. Seriously. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, just just his words and everything, and nobody would do anything to come to her defense. And even though his ex-wife was a little out of her mind, she was just trying to warn her, maybe you better wake up before it's too late. So then, mm-hmm. let's, let's go back to the present, people. In the present, <laughs> what con <laughs> You got more listeners here, so I'll tell you that. What does his, uh, what, what contacts Terry have, and who is Billy, and how does he help? I mean, she wasn't without help, Val, but still, I, I wish I could have well, helped Bridget. I know, I know. Um, yeah, Val did have help, and Terry is helping her, although she doesn't know why he's helping her. But so Terry, mm-hmm. um, being a former homicide detective has gone into the security business and he actually knows Billy from the job, Mm -hmm. from detective work and recommended Billy um, for the security job at the Franklin. And so he calls on Billy to see uh, if there's any way they could see what happened in the hotel on some of the cameras. Um, The police don't bother with that because They've got a ruling of suicide, and without a ruling of um, suspected foul play, there's no reason to waste their time, and this is in their minds, waste their time Mm -hmm. investigating. 
But Terry's trying to help Val find the even if is getting to an answer she doesn't want. Um, and he thinks going to the hotel will both ease her mind and his own to answer questions that he's not voicing to her. But he's got questions of his own. And if they could see on some of the cameras. So Billy does give them access to a couple of cameras, only in the mm-hmm. public spaces, near an elevator and in the lobby, because obviously you can't show anything private. But um, mm-hmm. he lets them view those recordings. And it's very informative to both of them as they keep watching. Well, as I'm going through the book, which is in front of me, I realize you tell this in different voices. We have Bridget's voice, Val's voice, and you included Terry's voice. How come you you did mm-hmm. that? Because that was interesting because I got to hear what Terry was really thinking. I got to feel sorry for Bridget and want to smack Lawrence. And I got to know Val a little bit better because when you're dealing with your sister's death, as I know, um, it, it's horrible. So how did you decide to to do it in different voices rather just in plain chapters so that we got to know the character a lot better? Um, I like doing uh, multiple narratives, although I think I, I did have a draft where I included Wyatt's voice, and that was yeah. one, um, too many voices, um, and two, a strong enough character for me. I couldn't feel him enough, but Terry, mm-hmm. I, I liked right away as soon as I wrote him um, with Val mm-hmm. meeting him, and his story... Um, and why he decides to help Val and his ability to keep her on track was, uh, I think, an important addition because her grief had a tendency to overwhelm her and make her um, not think clearly. And I think that it's Terry and his steadiness that Mm. uh, propels that action for her going forward. Does that make sense to you? <laughs> uh-huh. It made sense to me as I was doing it. I I just felt like he was sort of the balance to her, mm-hmm. and he was really important as a character to um, to keep the action on track for her. But why does she become so enthralled with Bridget? That I was I couldn't put this book down. Seriously. I mean, I just sat down. I mean, and usually when a book is written in timelines or multiple voices. I go, oh, God, why me? Then I'll just read each of the voices, and I'll skip the rest, and I'll come back to the next voice. And this one I just sat and read. But Bridget's story was so interesting. Why was Val so involved with learning more about her? Did it help her to understand what might have happened in the present, too? Well, she didn't really know about Bridget for a yeah. while. Um, she, And then when she does, the reason that she needs to learn more about Bridget is not a happy reason, um, yeah. but it does help her to understand uh, a lot of what happened, or at least make her ask questions and open her mind a little bit more. Bridget's story definitely impacts the present, but not in ways that um, are obvious, and and so that's why at the you know near the conclusion, uh, Val is so interested in in Bridget as well. But she doesn't know that um, when she first starts out. But Bridget's story is, um, I will tell you, Fran, that I have people who 
who said to me that they really love the 1921 story. They really, or they really love the contemporary story. There's, people do have favorites in in this book. You know which timeline they like. They like both, but they might have a favorite of the two timelines. So it's interesting because it's divided. It is. It's not overwhelming in one direction or the other. Not only that, but if you look at the endings, they're both u- are unique. That's for sure. What she finds out about, yes. you know, her sister, and then what happens with Bridget at the end. I actually, I, 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 I was impressed. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, you have good. to read it. Oh, good. You have to read it because lately <laughs> I've been saying that ending was. I read the book yesterday. Like I said I figured out who did it after the first chapter, which is not good. But this was like when when you did that last scene with her, and I go like, oh my god, this is so cool. Yeah. So Bridget's mm-hmm. family reminds me of other families that I've known, and they t- they have control. And they think Lawrence is wonderful. Tell us about Bridget's mm-hmm. family and control. Yeah, I mean he sort of spellbound them and sort of like convinced them, you know, this would be the right thing. And I mean, too bad she didn't listen to the first wife. She would have, you know, been better. So how how did the family get sucked in like that? Well, they get sucked in because um, you know, and Bridget wouldn't be aware of this, but because again it's the time and and Mm. you wouldn't share this but her father has maybe made some business decisions that were not the best and Mm. um an alliance with lawrence is in the family's best interest um and he also then the father because he does love his daughter he believes that lawrence will take care of his daughter and that she will be set for life he, they're easily snowed because it's what they want to believe. Um, it's a solution to their own situation. And, oh, I don't know what that was. It's a solution to their own situation. And um, mm. it, it, it makes him feel better about what's going to happen going forward. So he just, they have a little bit of blinders on. And mm. um, Bridget is not a, she grows throughout the story. Um, yeah. I don't feel like she starts out as someone who uh, speaks up for herself that much. Um, part of that is just because, you know, she wasn't raised to do that. Mm. And part of it is she's, you know, the younger sister. You, you get the feeling her older sister was the more vocal one, um, the one who clashed with her parents more. Bridget was just the good girl, so she's going along with everything, and she has to find her own voice um, by the end of the story. And she does, in a very <laughs> interesting way. Yeah. Oh, by the way, yes. before I forget, I didn't forget to post a review at 6 o'clock this morning, making sure I didn't forget. And, and I posted my 12 stars on Amazon. Oh, I'm just waiting for oh, them to approve you. it. It's been a while since I've given five. I gave three yesterday. Oh, oh um, oh. Well, I, I have to be honest. If a book is in four or four and a half stars, I won't do the interview and I won't review the book. It has to. Oh, it has to okay. be a high quality. That's me after all these years. Yeah, I wish they would think that about mine too. But what can I say? So this season, oh. I have. To, <laughs> yeah. Well, some of them went okay, and some of them whatever. You can't have everything. I'm looking at page two twenty three. 
And I'm looking at the confrontation that Val had with Wyatt. How did you create that? Because she's really good. Val? Um, yes. I think I'm going to pull up 223, too, because obviously I do not know the pages by heart. Um, I got them. <laughs> She was talking. She was talking to him, and she the color yes, drains from Wyatt's face. Yeah. Yes. So the thing about Val is um, also has to learn some things about herself as this book goes on. Some of those things will be things about her relationship with Sylvia, things that she thought were true that maybe weren't. Mm. She has to do a little introspection into herself. And some of that is has to do with Wyatt, too. Um, Val is such a strong personality, and she has strong opinions about things. Mm. And when Wyatt did what he did to her sister, um, she categorized Wyatt in her mind and who he was. And what kind of person he was. And so when she confronts him in that scene, that's who she sees in her mind. And Terry tries to mm. look at it. You know, Terry has no history with Wyatt. So he, while he hears Val's viewpoint, he looks at it a little bit more objectively. And so I think that um, Val is, I don't know, she's such a, it's just, Great, and then she has to storm out of the apartment because she just can't be around Wyatt anymore. And and she understands that Wyatt, she recognizes that Wyatt is a man falling apart, but she doesn't. She puts what she believes is the reason on him, and that's where that comes from. Well, what what else is in Sylvia's life? Which other characters were uh, with Sylvia? First, it was there. What about Danny? And what about Sherry? Who else is in Sylvia's life that that uh, would impact what happened or didn't impact what happened? Well, she has friends and she's got her job and that sort of thing. But, but what happened to Sylvia um, is something that she had been keeping private. Um, yes, there's, you know, Wyatt's girlfriend, Danny, is there. Um, Wyatt's secretary is super um, protective of him. And these people, um, you know, obviously Danny's not going to like Sylvia because they're competition. And um, the secretary has a big crush on on her boss. Um, so all of these Val, who, who um, is very protective of Sylvia. So for reasons that Sylvia doesn't share, she mm. does have something going on in her life that she's not willing to open up to anyone about. And that's a lot of mm. what causes the situation in the end. Now, before I forget, because we don't forget anything, that's what they told me. Uh, <laughs> Monday is going to be extremely u- unique, people. We're going to talk about grief, grief counseling, and banking systems. And that's all I'll say about that. The 20th, what better way to end 2022 than with one of the number one authors in the world, D.P. Lyle, Tally Man. He writes for Criminal Minds and all of those. He's great. Ooh, and on the awesome. Fourth, 
Yeah, and on the fourth, we got the king of writing. If you're on Facebook, you know that Vincent Zandri's got over 100 novels or whatever. We're going to talk about Pulp Fiction and how he is considered the most prolific Pulp Fiction writer in the world. On the fifth, we have the author of Cleopatra's Revenge, and we've got a whole lot more in January, which will end with, I was like so, so excited, Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child, The Cabinet of Dr. Lang. That ends my January. Mm. Not bad. You have a good <laughs> Not bad at start. all. Right? Yeah, you have a great 2023 starting out. Yeah, I do. And I have Iris Johansson for two books in March. Because she said two, not one. Two, yeah. Yeah, I, I've done it. So what does Terry learn about Wyatt? And how did you create the scenes with Danny? So Terry, as I said, Terry... Um, because of his uh, background as a detective, he is just this steady guy who learns to look at each fact in front of him without any preconceived notions. He completely understands why Wyatt is considered an asshole, but he um, <laughs> decides that he uh, he's going to go at Wyatt as though he doesn't know anything other than, you know, your marriage broke up. And um, by doing by doing that, he um, he learns more from Wyatt than he expects, and um, he's surprised by what he learns. And then the scenes with Danny really, she she's a woman whose background is actually a lot more difficult. Um, yeah. Than, than you realize. She is, she is not just, um, she's not just a mindless woman who stole Wyatt at a conference. There's a little bit more mm. to her uh, than that. And um, it takes a while until you can really understand that because she's not a major character other than that you know she's a player in the demise of the marriage. And um, in how Sylvia's running her life, you know, she she won't let the kids be around Danny. She, yeah. there, Danny is a is just a unpleasant presence for her. And um, but there is more to her than that. And um, I have to let you see that little by little because that's just the way. She's not a major character. No, but I, I like so. that there was a conflict there. Because anything with any yes. book without conflicts is boring, and she sort of put yeah. the you know like the kibosh on whatever, and just because she was like a you know a bad penny or just a, a noose a knife in your back, and was really good, because without a right. girlfriend or something, yeah, you didn't give her too much, you didn't make her too evil, but I didn't like her either. Sorry. Well, so, she but she tries to, and I know you were talking about conflicts, but she yeah. she tries to. Uh, she goes to Val, you know, calls her yeah. and tells her things about Wyatt that, you know, just yeah. angers Val even more. And 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 so Danny's role is um, she she definitely is a monkey wrench in everything mm-hmm. and um, keeps keeps Val guessing. But again, you know, Val some of Val's problems and and struggles are that she has to. Um, ask herself some tough, tough questions too. And, and Terry is, 
is basically there to keep her doing that. Um, well, sometimes and people keep, and ask a question that they don't want the answer. You know, that's what's, what's really right. scary. Sometimes they ask a question and they'll say, you know, they'll ask, me, ask anybody a question, do you want an honest answer or do you just want to hear what you want to hear? That That's what's really right. scary. Right. So right. how did you create Val's conflicts and how does Terry work in her favor? I really like this guy. I know. I know. He's, uh, you know, one of my favorite scenes, this isn't really about conflicts, though, is when he makes her dinner and they're in her apartment when mm. they don't really know each other. And he's just, you know, not because he's this incredible cook, but just because he's that nice. He's just a genuinely mm. nice guy. Um, but her, you know, her conflicts, again, a lot of them are, you've got the external conflicts, fighting the police in, in her belief, um, fighting with Wyatt, uh, trying to get to the truth of what happened in the hotel, um, mm. but also looking at her relationship with Sylvia in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she, as the older sister, doesn't under, she accepts that Sylvia's kept some secrets from her, but she doesn't understand the depth of them. And she has to learn those and Terry tries to keep her asking the right questions. I know he he puts the, he has to put the brakes on her a few times throughout the book, as as you as you read. And um, mm. he's just he's the support she ends up needing. Without without him, she doesn't get the answers. Well, the other thing is that I'm re- remembering is that this hotel has a fate of being a notice a hotel a hotel of death, right? This, this is not the, the history only of death. T- history of death, right? How did you create that? That was interesting. Well, as I said, you know, I had been fascinated by this hotel thing, and yeah. um, I did read that a lot of um, after the depression, you know, I kind of threw that in there, which was true. A lot of people, you know, jumped to their death or killed themselves in in hotels. And um, these ghost tours that do, you know, capitalize a little bit Mm. on um, seedy events that have happened in hotels. So I tried to do that. And I also was fascinated by how many of these hotels don't have 13 floors. And I thought that was a fascinating thing and the reason for it. Um, You know, the superstitions and, you know, obviously – 13th floor you think something bad happens there and so that was also part of it partly in my mind as I was writing what was going on in the hotel so I could just see this beautiful building but some things Mm. had happened there that were not beautiful at all and that's you know that's what's on both their minds as they're there investigating the Sylvia's death well, how did the police deal with this back then as opposed to the present now? It's like two different things because there wasn't DNA and all all that stuff back then, I don't think. Well, not the same kind of forensics. Right. Are you talking about how did they deal with the 1921 conclusion? The 1921 conclusion was a shock. Even in the 19 <laughs> even in this conclusion, yeah. I was like, "What?" I mean, yeah. the 
did the police take seriously for Val's suicide that maybe it wasn't suicide? It might be something else? Well, they actually do start, the younger detective does start to wonder if there's some truth or or she might be more on to something than they thought she was. Um, Until they find some more evidence that undermines Val's theory. Um, They are starting to listen to her about Wyatt and about some other things, but then new evidence does crop up which I don't want to give away, but... No, don't um, give it away. There are too many people yeah, listening, you can't away. tell them. <laughs> that um, that does undermine uh, their belief, and so eventually they come back to their original, you know, or they, they, they don't feel that she's right. Um, but they, the, the young detective that is... Hmm. questioning um, some things from the medical examiner's report. He's starting to believe Val, but then he backtracks again. So, yes, the the DNA, um, again, I I think what happens is when when evidence points to a suicide and um, you have a report Hmm. that seems to strengthen that case, you're not going to do the man hours. You're not going to spend the money on... DNA mm-hmm. testing and do all those kinds of things when you have active murder investigations going on. You've got to allocate your resources, and in this particular case, those resources are not going to be allocated to Sylvia because it doesn't look like there's a reason for there to be resources. You know what bothers me, and I agree with you because that does happen on the news every day. But if it would happen to have been a law enforcement officer or somebody in government, they probably would re- take the resources and use them anyway. That that's like it's you know the double standard sometimes. So true. This, but you know, Baltimore is a city with a, a lot yeah. of things going on, just like most major cities. You know, and and it can be cyclical, and decades can be different. But yeah. it's it's not hard to imagine uh, a police department in Baltimore being um, overrun with cases and and having to cherry pick where attention is spent. But you're right. Well, this is, if if it yeah. were a name, it might be different. I know that's really amazing. The two time periods end in a very unique way. I'm changing the word in my question. So how did you decide to create these unexpected endings? I changed one of the words because then it would give something away that wouldn't be so good. So in the time mm-hmm. periods, they end in a very unique way. How did you decide to create these unexpected endings? And those of you that are listening, if you didn't read this, you're really missing out on a good one. Seriously. Um, I Honestly, I when I start a book, I know the beginning and I know the end. But oh, wow. I do... I knew the contemporary end. I didn't know the 1921 end. Um, Mm. That really and truly happened organically. I can't tell you when I'm in Chapter 10 what's going to happen in Chapter 20. I have no idea. Um, And so the fact that it happened that way, I think because I knew where I was going in the contemporary Mm. time period, Probably subconsciously, I kind of knew where I was going. I knew the link. I knew the reason the hotel was important. And it kind of drove where 1921 was going. And Mm -hmm. while 
it wasn't necessarily exactly the ending that somebody might want, nor was it not the ending they would want either. I hope it's satisfying, but I can't say for sure because that's a subjective thing. But um, really, once I and when I came up with that ending, I knew it was the right ending. It, it felt right as I did it. So I didn't change it in my drafts that went back and revisions were made. Nothing about those endings changed. It was well-deserved. That's all I'll say. (laughs) (laughs) That just shows you people I read it. (laughs) You know, it's amazing because I got this a while ago and I was so happy. The post office is really messing up. They're not bringing my books, people. And Uh I have a whole bunch in February and March and in April and in May also. And it helps when they send them early so that I could read this. So I yeah. read this a while ago, and I was like, yay, finally something. So that was, <laughs> Good. I was, you know, because, I mean, I just got, I'm very impressed. Robert McCaw's uh, publicist wanted uh, an interview in June, but they want me to read the book right away. So it's in, it's, it's really good. So at least that's something. Yeah, I've got a three inside, two of so-so, and one is good. So where do you see Val after all of this, and what about Terry? Is this a standalone, or is there more coming, I hope? So it was written as a standalone, but Val and Terry were very compelling to me, and um, I can see them teaming up again, but Mm -hmm. it's not something I'm working on right now, but I can definitely see them teaming up again. I, I mean, Val's going to obviously go back to her her life, albeit um, changed, um, and maybe with a slightly softer outlook, um, just because she's she has had to face, you know, she's got grief, she's got mm. all these things, and she's got her niece and nephew to be a part of their lives. So she will go forward um, because she has to, but she will be changed by what has happened. That's how I see Val. But I do see Val and Terry potentially teaming up. I I could see something in the future. I'm just not really sure what that is yet. I haven't started it. That's good because I would be disappointed if they didn't come back. Like I could see her, I could see her solving another murder at the Franklin that has nothing to do with it, but it's it's scary. And when you when you lose a sister that I I did under unusual circumstances, you be, I, I read all these books and I go like, where was that person to help me? Where is that person? Anything? So what's <laughs> next? What's next for you? And when am I getting it? Um, what's next for me is, uh, I have a new series that I have been working on. It's a little more police procedural. And so it is, um, hopefully being looked at now and, and hopefully Mm. I'll have some news. Um, but I, I can't really say anything right now because I don't know. Um, it's just out there. And then I have another book actually that I have Mm. finished, but I'm revising and that is, also, that one's historical and is based on um, a real train wreck that took place in Nashville in 1918. It oh, was nice. the deadliest train wreck in the in the U.S. and um, that's and it's in revision. So I I don't know where that one's going yet either. But that one is 
is inspired by, um, it's fiction, but it's inspired by a true event. And more than 100 people died in that train wreck. And, of course, everything's going on. You've got World War One, and, and you're getting, it's prohibition, and you're getting ready for the Spanish mm. flu to hit. There's just a lot of things going on in the world at that time. And there's this train wreck, which basically got not swept under the rug, but it's mm. a small event compared to all those events that were going on. But it, it's a, actually a pretty big deal. Well, you're going to use the same publishing company, CamCat, right? You know, that that's awesome. the hardest thing for, for for someone like me because I write horror. I, I don't I don't write the normal stuff. I write from the point of view of the dead body behind the gravestone that's telling the story. And, oh. and I'm excited. My next book's coming out in January. It's called Faces oh, Behind the Stones, Accusations. It tells about people that are wrongly accused and they tell this story. You get to hear their voice. So Oh, that's that, great. That, yeah, I, I I went to the cemetery when my sister died, and I spoke to the gravestone, and I, her, her, her death is unquestionable. It's questionable. And I said, what really happened that day that you had a heart attack? Then I walked around to people I didn't know and go, like, why are you here? Why are you here? And they go, wouldn't it be cool to write a book like that? So I did. Some of the stories are true, and some of them oh, I made up. Oh, that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, one of the teachers in my school was wrongly accused by the principal, and she wound up committing suicide. And I, I, I couldn't not tell her story. So she was the impetus for yeah. writing it, and I wrote a whole bunch more. But where can everybody get all of your books and everything? And Gina always likes when I ask this question. When you do write your next mystery thriller, she hopes that you take do another tour with Partners in Crime, which friends doing in April. They're the best. <laughs> I, they are they are great. Everything's been wonderful on this blog tour. Um, but, you know, you can go to my website, kellylarsonmurphy.com. You can find my book on every single book site. You can go to the publisher's mm. website, uh, camcatbooks.com. They're, they're an awesome publisher and have been great to work with. And um, mm. so any of those places. And you can find me on all the social media sites, you know, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. Um, it's, it's you know, all the usual spots that we we talk about. Well, this book is has a hands out, by the way. When I go to um, any appointments or anything, and everybody in the building knows what I do. And everybody in oh, the optometrist good. office, I got a call yesterday, and I'm going to give them the, your book next week. Um, there are five, oh, four good. young girls, four young girls in their 20s, and they love to read. So they called me yesterday, and I brought them half a dozen books, plus a copy of my book that I printed out that nobody else has but them. So yours goes to them. Otherwise, it goes to my dermatologist's wife because she takes everything. <laughs> I can't go. I literally can't go without books. I, I, I mean... This makes my day because at least more people are reading, more people are going to buy it. And by the way, people, Hanukkah, Christmas, books are the best present in the whole world. But I want oh, to thank are. you so much. You made my day. This has really brightened oh, everything. Thank you. And, oh, thank um, good. I totally yeah. enjoyed this. It was so much fun. This, this was fun. Do you do panel shows ever based on what you write on um, mysteries? I do them a lot. Yeah, um, I do. I do. Do do them sometimes, and um, you know, obviously, I do conferences. I'm trying to focus on a lot of conferences in 2023. Mm. So, um, 
Maybe I'll see you at one of those. You just never know. Just let me know. But everybody, all right. It's it's freezing outside. It's 20 degrees, 32 degrees. We have a heat wave. But everybody, uh, have a great day. Thank you so much. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe and bye. Thanks, Fran. Bye-bye.